All right. So today, thank you, John Lawson. We finally have Paul Huggins with us, author of Knocking Out My Demons. Mm-hmm. So we're not going pheasant hunting today, <laughs> <laughs> but this is a story of redemption and boxing, interacting with the cartel, Escape to Thailand, getting arrested, sentencing. Quite a few. Vicious attack with a shotgun. Going to India. Quite a journey. Paul's had quite a journey. But what's important, we'll get to this at the end, is what he's doing now with the young people, helping them rehabilitate, trying to steer them into sports. Put your energy into boxing, MMA, whatever it is. Don't get gangster writers, kids, because it (laughs) ends in the prison, police and death. So, huge thank you for coming on, yeah, Paul. Huge thank it's you. my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yeah. Cheers. Very mate. smartly dressed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel under my wife because I would have come in a pair <laughs> of tracksuit boxes. Look really how boring my shoes are compared to Paul's. Can you, I know. Can you lift this? Have a look. Look, look at them. Little, 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 uh, I was born in Hastings in 1961, the uh, lovely town called Hastings, as it is at the 1066 country, mm-hmm. uh, as we all know it as, where William the Conqueror came along in 1066 from Normandy and um, took Harold's eye out, so the legend has it, with an arrow. <laughs> and uh, so here we have it. Here I am. But Hastings is my hometown. And because of that it. anecdote, is, does everybody in Hastings have the fighting spirit? Yeah. I'm not too sure about that. Really. <laughs> I've tried putting my gloves on with many of them, and, uh, um, and we've, <laughs> I've come unstuck a couple of times as well. Uh, but there is a, a, it's a, it's a great community, and they get behind each other. Yeah. And if there's somebody there that's doing well and shows promise, then people will be there behind them and, and, and give them all their support. Lovely. So what was it like for you as a nipper? Well, I, 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 when I was, uh, I can remember when I was about two, from when I was two, uh, and, and my, uh, then I was getting on for free. My dad left because uh, he was a bit of a, a, a travelling man, uh, worked on the the uh, the, uh, the ships and um, in the merchant navy, and there was always a bit of confrontation and stuff, I suppose, and because uh, we weren't there. And and so my mum and dad sort of drifted apart, really. Was he a brawler then? Well, he was a good fighter, yeah. He was well respected in the town. And um, in that book there, there's a there's a picture of me sort of like in a in a uh, taking on all comers one day down in the old town. <laughs> in and we made this ring out of a scaffold poles. Uh, and there was no the, the the canvas on the floor was a, a sail from one of the boats over the beach, and it was concrete. Uh, and uh, I can remember a story from my dad that he was in a, the uh, the circus up on the um, oval, and uh, his mate Phil Barker said to him, "Go on, get in there." Look, he said they're they're taking on all comers, Ken. Get in there and have a go. And 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 uh, reluctantly, the old man said, "Well, I'll, I'll give it a go." And he went in there. And I mean, Dad was always a bit sort of keen with his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, this guy jabbed him up a few times, so he stuck one on him like that and stick st- knocked him spark out. 
and then decided to make a run for it with all the fair people chasing him. But he did win the fight, <laughs> albeit on a technical <laughs> knockout, but it was technical, I must admit. Um, but Dad, you know, he, he could handle himself back in the day. So that leads but, to the next one, your mum's new man. Well, yeah, that was a, a wonderful thing, really, in in the eyes of my mother. But I, 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 that was, he came along when I was about three, John. Um, um, and he was a lovely man and he, uh, he was gentle and he was kind. And then my brother come from that, Dean, my youngest brother. I got an older brother, Tony, who's uh, still around with us. Um, fantastic ventures that me and him had. Dean, um, yeah, he's a good, he's a good lad and he works hard. He's got a good family of his own and stuff. Um, but yeah, John was a good man, and he he passed away a few years ago, or ten years ago, of cancer, uh, and my mum's gone as well. But um, he was the best thing I think that happened to my mum after my dad, and uh, they stayed together until the the last days. Oh, so how lovely! Lovely, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was a building man, and and uh, could do anything around the house. Always took us out down, and, and and I still remember I used to bring sweets home, and I used to wait for him on the old gate, waiting for him when I was about three or four. I knew he was going to bring sweets on Friday because it was his <laughs> payday, uh, 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 and uh, so he sort of bought my my, my uh, I bought I, I, that was my friendship, my love that was towards him. But as I grew older, I realised that because I didn't want him around, you know, to start with, I used to scream blue murder. Uh, and it was awful because I, I just didn't want them sleeping together. I was so jealous of my mother. You know, and in the end, you know, I even threatened to jump out of the window once. If he, if he, I used to wait with a piece of cotton wool around my arm one day there. And when they come home on the Friday night after they'd been out, I'd tied it to my arm and to 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 her to her bedroom door, and and and. Then my arm went like that, and I knew they was trying to get into bed together, and I went screaming and hollering and wouldn't let them, you know, <laughs> just wouldn't let them sleep together. But they did it. Well, they must have, whether well, the world was away, because along came Dean, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> but I was a very jealous little boy and insecure, I'd soon imagine. Were you jealous of your brother coming along? No. No? No, I loved my little brother Dean, and... Um, yeah, we, we 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 grew up, and he was five years different from me. So I mean, but he he's a, he's a good lad, Dean is. Yeah, got a lovely family. So you were the supportive older brother. I had a supportive older brother, who was um, Tony, and uh, yeah, he had his own problems in life. You know, a bit of a character himself. Got locked up for uh, going down the pub one day there, and uh, somebody threatened his family. So. He marched along to the pub and blow, blow, just let two barrels off through the window because the kid he was through the other side of the window we missed him, fortunately. But um, he was a bit like that, you know. <laughs> 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 but, yeah. but we had some fantastic times together, me and Tony, in the pubs and things. And um, there's a few funny stories to tell about me and him in that book. I mean, amazing, really. <laughs> What were you guys like in school? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, Tony, I'm not too sure what he was like because he, he was like, you know, he, he just done his own thing. 
because uh, he's older than me, nine years older than me, and he used to take me to school. Wow. He used to take me to school uh, uh, when I was five years old, and um, I didn't want to go to school before then, and so I had to go because uh, the the school board man come along and he said, "If you don't send your school to boy to school, Mister uh, Mrs. Aggins, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to sort you something out with you." So she had to take me to school. Well, he took me to school. And uh, when he left me at the school gates, on often or not, I was off again, you know. So I didn't have a lot of schooling, but we used to spend most of our time, me and my schoolmates that didn't go to school either, catching lizards and snakes and stuff, <laughs> and, and selling them in the pet shop for a pound, which weren't too bad back in the day, you know. Were you into the sports at school? Uh, when you did go in? Well... I was competitive, yeah, I was very competitive, and I was only little, because I'm only little now, but, you know, I was even littler then, obviously, uh, one of the smallest boys in the school, and so I felt like I had to sort of prove something, I suppose, and and I didn't mind a challenge or, or a bit of competition, so I, I used to always run to win, uh, and and uh, I did a lot of that, and um, by the time I was nine years old, my mate, who went to the boxing club along the West Hill Boys Club, he said, do you want to come to the boxing? And my mum, she couldn't wait to get rid of me because, you know, <laughs> she said, you've got to go there. She said, get you out and do something worthwhile. I said, all right, mum. She said, make sure you learn some discipline and learn to behave yourself. I said, I don't know about that discipline, mum, but I will go. I'll have a look, see what I think. Anyway, we went there and I was nine years old. West Hill Boys Club, and I can remember putting his old smelly pair of gloves on, you know, and, and it was like a place looked like a bomber did it in the Luftwaffe <laughs> war, uh, and the paint, paint was off the walls, and it, the ring was like just had rips in the floor and everything else, and, and it was rough and ready, and it was like full of kids and, and, and good old boys there, like Jimmy Hart and uh, Bill O'Rourke, and, uh, and uh, I thought, right, I'm going to put a pair of gloves on then. And I'm going to see what I'm going to do on that bag. Okay. I've seen Muhammad Ali and, 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 and Henry Cooper. I've seen them doing it on television. So I got on the old bag and I started dancing around, moving around, jabbing about. And thought, how was Ali doing it? And there was old, old Henry doing it. And I was boom, 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 like that. And all of a sudden I, got, I peeked out of the corner of my eye because I liked a bit of attention. <laughs> and and, and I, I realised that everybody was standing there watching me. Anyway, the bell went, and, and I stayed for a little rest. And then Jim come up to me, and he said, Jim Hart, he said, what club do you box at then? I said, I've never been to a club, Mr. Hart. He said, you've never been to a club? He said, well, that's fantastic, he said. He said, you're a natural boy. He said, mate, tell you come up here next week. So when I went home that day, I said, Mum, I found it fantastic. It was really good. They all looked at me and watched me doing what I loved doing. And I, and I was really good. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go next week. So from there, I uh, started boxing. Wow. Which was a good thing. But before that, I mean, I've got to tell you a little story. I mean, I had a few near-death experiences when I was growing up. And... One very, very, very frightening, scary one is when we used to go down to the uh, the railway line and we used to go down there to catch snakes and, and stuff like that because, as I said, we sold them for a pound. We got a pound in the, in the shop down down the, old, down the old town pet shop. So 
and there was this great big tunnel and it's in all village station and it's called the mile long tunnel because it is about a mile long it takes a little while to get through there on the train and 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 we used to walk through that tunnel you know on saturday mornings we used to go and have a little crew of us and we used to walk through there and, it, and as soon as you got in there a little way it was pitch black pitch black because it was more and it was it went round in the bend so you got round to this bend bit and that was it you couldn't see anything but the way we used to listen to see if there was a train coming was to put our ears to the line and then you could hear it rumbling <laughs> so one day but two trains come through one day so we didn't know which way to run and so what we we couldn't see nothing anyway so like we should run along the side of the wall and find something like a gap and then we should jump in and the trains used about hmm. four or five ten seconds later used to come streaming past us like you know and and we never did tell her my mother about it. I did tell her <laughs> later on in life, but she gave me a good idea, even when I was 22. But after that, she said, you little... <laughs> and I was doing a weigh-in for a fight at the Albert Hall, but I won it that night for her. But, but anyway, the, before you go into the tunnel, there was this live, this, this, the high rail. And it was we didn't know it was live. But it, it, my friend, Steve Meppen, he jumped on the top of this rail, right? I don't know how he knew it. He jumped from the ground onto the top of it and then jumped back off. And and I thought, and I, I, it was like a, something going in my head. Go and grab that rail and see it. Show how, show how brave you are to your friends. And as I've been nine years old and seen him jump on it, and jump off because it was it was it was a frightening, scary rail. You know, you you knew was something something was not quite right with it, but it was sitting there. It was quiet. It was like a beast, <laughs> yeah, ready to get you. And and anyway, I went over to this this rail and this line. Go and touch it. Go and touch it. You'll be so brave. I thought, oh, what's that? Who's you know? It's like okay, but it was, it was just my own ego, I suppose. But I went like that on this rail, and then I went, no, not like that. Grab it. So I, I sort of grabbed it, and it was awful. Imagine. Well, it was like a sledgehammer going into my body, and I just fell back, like, went straight back, jumped up, terrified, ran home, grabbed my mum, didn't say a thing. She said, what's happened to you? You look like you've been blooming, seen a ghost. What's going on? What's all wrong with you? I never said anything. I was just petrified, petrified. Anyway, on the Monday, I went to, um, I went to the railway station, because to cross over the bridge there, or village station. Uh, and and I said to the railway master, I said, because we used to get bundles of paper for the school, uh, and they used to get things of them, pens and all that stuff. And, and I said to him, I was a bit shrewd back then. I said, Mister, excuse Mister, what, what do those um, what's in that rail? What is it? He said, that don't you? I said, don't you? He said, don't you ever touch that rail? I said, why? What what is it then? And he said, there's seven hundred and fifty volts going through that rail and thirty thousand amps. Wow. Imagine that, a little kid of nine years old grabbing hold of that. I'm surprised he didn't die. Unbelievable. So yeah. that was my first death experience. Um, anyway, going back onto it, I ended up sort of, at the age of 14, because uh, we used to have some fantastic times in the country, though. We used to go out and, and, and go travelling, we used to walk through the tunnel, we used to collect birds' eggs back then, and we was all adventurous, you know. We had a, a, a guy, uh, one of the lads, his name was German, and he'd climb up any tree, you know, and, and, and it, it, we'd, we'd up right up there in the middle of nowhere in the sky, <laughs> like a big, big 
sycamore trees where all the rooks were put up and nesting and they used to get all the eggs for them and we used to all share them out and we, we had a fantastic collection i still got them about 105 wow. different birds different varieties of birds although it was it was made illegal 25 years ago but if you collected them before that it, it was like collecting butterflies you know we we never took them all out of the nest we used to leave some so they could breed and stuff but German was was the hit man of of hit of tree climbing. You know? <laughs> I mean, he, he he's the sort of guy that would go up a tree and when the branches snapped and he come falling back down again and hit the deck, which he did do in Rye once. Like after going for the rook's eggs, he got back up again, brushed himself down, and started climbing back up again. He was like that type wow. of character. The German, the hit Manhattan. <laughs> So, but by the time I got to 14, after all these adventurous days and all that, and, and, and I was a bit of a naughty boy, you know, and, um, you know, the police had to take me home now and again for, for doing stuff and shoplifting and all that malarkey. Uh, uh, and everybody, used to, even the, the, the West Hill Boys Club, they used to come to the to the courts just to try and get me off because they said he's got so much talent, this boy. And and then, then anyway, at 14 years old, I got to the all the way through the the, the preliminaries, the semi, the quarters, the semis, and and, the, and 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 the counties and all the rest of it, and Surrey and Sussex, and and then all the way up to Scotland and Ireland and, and uh, Wales. I mean, uh, and I got to the I got to the schoolboy finals. You see, at 14 years old, and I was in the lowest weight. I was only about I saw like I don't know how many kilos, but I was about. <laughs> but in the lowest weight. And even to get into the lowest weight, I had to have this weight called Jeffrey, we called it, and it was made of lead. And we used to stick it down my pants <laughs> so I could get on the scales and make the weight. See, I weren't <laughs> cheating. I weren't cheating. I was only trying to get into the weight to, to get up the weight to fight. To fight. So I weren't taking any advantage of that. Anyway, we used to say, is, is Jeffrey here? Yeah, Jeffrey's here. He's, he's come along. He's on board now. <laughs> and so we ain't got to worry. He's on board. So we're, we're, we're all right. So we used to put this Jeffrey down there and I just used to scrape in the lowest weight to get in the thing. <laughs> and I fought this guy called, um, from Wales, Kelvin Smart. And uh, it was a fantastic fight, you know. I mean, Kelvin Smart went on to win the Lonsdale belt and everything else as a professional fighter and he was the Welsh champion and and it was a fantastic fight and and after the the third round they said you've got it all to do Paul you've got to get out there and and, and do what you've got to do just get in there get in there push forward put your foot, front foot down tuck in and get stuck in I said, you don't have to tell me that. I know what I've got to do. Anyway, off I went. Because you can't, you know, fighters get told what to do, but you do, you do your own thing in the end. In the first, but you're nice to have a corner man there just to give you a sponge and, and wash you down. But you do listen, but you don't really. You, you, you're just too focused on what you're doing and the crowd don't make no difference because they, they, they shout out all sorts of things, but you can't hear them. Uh, it's just like, you know, you just focus. Anyway... The end of the third round went, and and um, we got called into the centre of the ring, and and they said by a majority decision, the schoolboy British Championship of of UK is the blue corner, Mister Little Paul Luggins, and I went, yeah, Prior <laughs> score. I went, jumped up in the air, and all everybody was screaming and all running around. It was fantastic. And then this is this. Just imagine that I'm as high as a kite. I've just won the British Schoolboy Championship, 
and I got home after a fantastic evening that everybody was celebrating and stuff and we got home and then the day after we got home there was a knock on the door and uh, and it was a police officer and a, a probation officer mm. and they said Paul go and pack your bag we're taking you to Red Hill approved school which is in Surrey so from the greatest to height that you could ever be uh, and down to a nothingness. I was just completely... Because for stealing cars, you know. I mean, my mum couldn't cope anymore, you know. I was like a, a naughty boy. Mm. So there I was, locked in uh, Red Hill. And uh, it was it was quite scary, really, because I was only a little lad and there was some big black fellas in there and stuff. And they, they, don't, they don't take no prisoners in prison. As you probably know, some of you. What was uh, your sentence? It, it, it was six weeks, I think. But they didn't even take me to court. They just, I think my mum had had so much, or, or I was being nicking cars or whatever I was doing. But they just, they didn't even take me to court. They just took me, come and got me and took me to Red Hill and thought this would teach him a lesson. He'd sort himself out now, um, which I never did. And so, you know, I went, I went, I was there and, what was your first day like going in? Well, uh, uh, as we got to this blooming, this big gate, I thought, flipping it, this is a castle, and, and it's surrounded by by all these barbed wire fences, and, and, and I had this little bag, you know, with my clothes in it, and I got through the castle gates, and they said, you won't be needing them. And and I said goodbye to the, the probation officer and, and the police officer, and like that, like with tears in my eyes. And, and I'm like a little 14 year old and that. And, and, and they said, Huggins! So like, I walked into the, to, to the office and he said, I sat down. He went, Stand up, Huggins! I stood up and he said, Right, there won't be no slouching around in here. And, then, and immediately you're like, talked to, like, you've got to sort of come to a tender for what sort of place is this? You know, I can't be sort of playing up here by the looks of things. And. So it was a little bit strict, but um, they sent me and waited into the dormitory, and then they all come back from their PE or whatever they did, and a big black lad, he come up to me and he, and he started asking me questions, and I, he said, where do you come from then? I said, well, I'm Hastings. I come from Hastings. He said, what's your name? And I went, Paul Huggins, proudly, because I'd just been a schoolboy champion. I thought, you must have heard of me. Everyone's heard of Paul Huggins, didn't they? But no, there weren't no response, and I've deflated once again. <laughs> oh, you know. So, uh, uh, but he was a nice lad. He said, well, you just follow the line, go down to the thing and and make sure into the, when, we, when the bell rings and you can get your dinner and, and that. And he said, don't you worry. He said, I'll make sure you're all right. And he was like a nice lad, but uh, and that was great. So that was the start of my um, penitentiary beginning. I was in there for six weeks. What were your cellmates like? Well, it was a, it, they weren't actually cellmates. They was a, it was a dormitory. So it's like a dorm. Yeah, but there, 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 there was lots. Of, you had to stick up for yourself sometimes. Um, I mean, I, I, once I got home after six weeks, but another ball store when I was in there, I had to sort this. There was a, a somebody stole some stuff like and um, and uh, and then I stole some stuff like out of this black fella's locker. Sort of everybody was stealing everybody's stuff, so he just stole it. And this this guy called Leroy, he was he, he come up to me and he went, "You've been stealing my gear, man." 
I said, I've not been stealing your gear, Leroy. He said, I know you've been stealing my gear because someone told me about it, all right? I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He went, bang, and I was on the deck. And he went, I went, I leapt up again just so we could have a bit of rouse. And then the officer walked past, and uh, I was about 15 then. So he didn't have a fight, but a good shot it was because he loosened both of my teeth mm. and I ended up with two gold teeth, that one sitting indoors. But there was two oh, nice wow. little gold teeth there and I said, nice one, Leroy. You know, those sort of things cost you a lot of money outside. Um, but it, it, some people, I mean, they were killing themselves, kids in there. It, it, it was so depressing in there, you know. And I ended up in a children's home called Old War House when I was about, when I come out of there. Uh, but, and it was Bill O'Rourke, run by a guy called Bill O'Rourke, was a lovely man, and his wife, Teresa, and it was a, it was like a... I used to, I used to go to school then, and they made me go to school, and I used to learn things at school then, but it was... Um, he was he was a good it was a good children's home and I used to love going home at the weekends because I used to play up and in the week in the children's home I used to be a good boy so I was a bit of and my mother always called me a Jekyll and Hyde <laughs> and, and I, I still am I think but you never know I, I, I think I got better these days but a little bit but yeah so what about your love for Kentucky Fried Chicken? And the year 1975. <laughs> 1975. That was the year when I, I thought... 75. Was that the year before the schoolboy? Yeah, that was the year before I won the schoolboy championship, I think. Um, and, and I thought, ah, great. He ain't turned up. And I was going to get a bye through to the next round. Um, and it was in the... Uh, I think it was the preliminaries, which was the one before this quarterfinals of the scoreboard championships. And um, a guy called Pat O'Mara, a lovely man, and his son was Mick O'Mara, a fantastic fighter at the West Hill Boys Club. Um, and he went off and got his great because I, I thought, oh, I ain't fighting. Yeah, and I can eat now. And he went off and got a great big bucket of, of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I stuffed as much of it as I could down my neck, and then my lad turned up. Oh! So like, I was like, oh no! So I got in the ring and sort of fought with him. And after three rounds, I'm like, oh, this Kentucky Fried Chicken was almost like coming out. Oh. Of my mouth. And and so I got beat on a on a on a, a very small decision. But I thought, oh, that was a that was the chick the the chicken that that beat me. But that was <laughs> that was what that was what happened there. But then the year after, I decided to behave myself and, yeah. and, and and do what I could, you know. <sighs> Sorry. So next we have the crash landing. The crash landing. That was where the crash landing. See, we're going, we're jumping, going into it. We're, we're jumping to and fro. Mm. Ah. Because the crash landing was what I just talked about. But I'm going to wait for you to ask questions next. Wow. Next, well, we did Gosport detention, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. because we, we're done, we, we're done the Gosport. And you go back home. Back at home. The Gos- the ah, we ain't done the Gosport yet. Oh, okay. Because that was what happened after uh, the Red Hill one. See, mm. and then I got the gospel detention for thieving cars again, uh, and that was like that was when I was about fourteen as well, um, and it was very strict in there. That was down, in, and then they was all navy officers in there, you know. And one day, like they were so strict, they said we was out and picking potatoes and and stuff. They went, 
and was talking to one of the lads and he went, Huggins! I said, yes, sir. He said, come here. Yes, sir. He said, you got plenty of energy, lad, have you? I said, why is that, sir? He said, because you keep talking, son. <laughs> he said, you see that, that mat over there in that field? That horse uh, mat, he said. He said, run over there, pick it up by that handle and drag it up down that football pitch for me. I said, you having a laugh, sir? We're not sort of basically like, no, get yourself over there now, lad, because that's how it was down there. There was all military and naval officers and stuff. So I found myself running up and down with this thing until I was absolutely knackered. Uh, 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 and then he called me back over. He said, uh, feel like talking now, Huggins? <laughs> oh, I said, I don't think so, <laughs> sir. And he said, well, carry on with what you're doing, lad, and don't let me hear you speaking again, okay? So that's the sort of people we were dealing with. So I got out of there after whatever it was, three months. And um, that was uh, my first taste of um, a very strict penitentiary system. And did that reform you, make you rethink the car thefts? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. At least you're honest. (laughs) Honestly, it really didn't. And I thought, well, I'd better be a bit more careful. <laughs> and my, my, my trainer said to me, you shouldn't, my Johnny Gray, lovely man, I, 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 he was my he, he was my fantastic trainer. And he said, I always remember it, he said, if you're going to nick something, nick something worth nicking and do something worth doing, he said, you know, and, and it was true. And I ended up sort of like, in the end, Starting to be reformed when I went to Old Raw Else, and that was like with Bill O'Rourke, who used to be a boxer as well. Uh, and then, then I started going to school and I started trying to learn. And they said you could do so much better and all the rest of it. And, and so I, I, I finished school at the age of 16, and, and then I went to Borstal just before, you know, just after that. Car theft again. Yeah. Uh, Robbery. Uh, 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 And then I come out of jail and they said, Dave Harris come up to me and he said, uh, do you want to to turn to be a professional fighter, Paul? He said, you've got so much talent and, you you know, it could be your saviour. And I said, yeah, I'd like that. So... um, that was when I was about, about when I was about eighteen, you know, and so I was, I got I had a, an apprenticeship as a plumber, as well, but after flooding a couple of people out in that, I, I decided <laughs> that that I think boxing must be a bit better, and and and, and which we did. I went up to the the the, uh, the uh, Thomas a Beckett in the Old Kent Road. We drove up there in, in Dave's little little Fiat. They used to like his Fiats. And, and we went in and the Boxing Board of Control come in, you know, and that's, that was the governing body and still is the governing body, I do believe. And um, I got in there. I don't know who the chap was that I was sparring with, but they got you in the ring in, 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 the, in, the, in the gym upstairs above the pub there in the old Thomas and Beckett there. Some great fighters have been through there, you know, Duran and Ali and Henry Cooper. That was his gym he used to train in. And um, um, after three rounds, they went, yeah, there's your ticket. You're a professional boxer. 
So that was brilliant. I was made up with that. And so the first fight I had was at the Grosvenor Hotel up in uh, Park Lane, which is a lovely place. Um, and I had a great following, which was fantastic. You know, as I said, Hastings is a, a town that gets behind you. <laughs> and, and everybody wanted me to do well. And so we used to fill a coach up, two coaches up. And, and I used to do the business, you know. Uh, uh, but also I was a naughty boy again. Because mm. yeah. I used to like smoking weed. And I had friends that liked smoking weed. And, and everybody smoked weed. Uh, and I grew up with people smoking weed. My dad smoking weed and everyone smoking weed. And in the old town was everyone, we all smoked weed. So <laughs> The whole of Hastings that, that smoking was, weed. We were smoking weed. And so... <laughs> <laughs> But even while I was smoking weed, I used to say, well, I'm going to at least do 10 days of training, you know. And, and so obviously I thought my talent was, I was only like young. And, and poor Dave Harris used to come down to the nightclubs and get me out at two o'clock in the morning. I said, Dave, I'm selling tickets. He said, but you're fighting today. You know, let's get home, let's get yourself some sleep. And I used to be out there punting my own tickets all over the place. And I used to love getting there because I used to get extra money, you know, for, for 10% I used to get on a coach load of people. That was quite a lot of money. <laughs> um, but uh, so, but I won my first fight mm. impressively. I won my second fight impressively, my third fight impressively, my fourth fight impressively. Then I had a draw or something like that of a guy called Richie Foster, who was uh, the Commonwealth Games champion as an amateur, and fought Barry McGuigan as well. Um, first fight. It was such an amazing fight over in the Ove Town Hall, and it was packed solid. And 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 the 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 noise was phenomenal, you know. And we it, it was a brilliant fight. Uh, featherweight division that was nine stone six so i used to weigh in about nine six um and and, and my m normal weight then was ten stone three but i used to weigh in at nine six and, and it was like an, an eight round fight and it was like phenomenal and and they lifted both of our hands up as as it was a draw and and back in that was back in 81 or something like 82 uh, and um they threw about 250 quid in the ring. I mean, that was a lot of money, all just showering in pound mm -hmm. notes wrapped up in thing, and that's fantastic. And then we fought again, another, fought a, a, a little while longer, I fought up in the air at all, and I, I, I went out and done a bit of training and, and took him to the cleaners, basically. And that's what I used to be like. But I, won my, I, 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 I was unbeaten in 15 of my first professional fights which weren't bad, you know. I fought some great fighters as a pro. And my my first loss was against a guy called um, Barry McGuigan. I mean, he beat me over in in, in Ireland. I don't know why we, 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 we uh, took that fight on, to be honest with you. Being me, being proud, being young, I said, I'll have the fight, let's take the fight. The reason why I wanted to take the fight is because I'd beaten the man that beat Barry McGuigan, and, and, and that was Peter Eubanks. Peter Eubanks was a good fighter. His brother's Chris Eubanks. I don't know if you've yeah. heard of Chris. Mm -hmm. And his, his son's now, uh, the Chris Senior, he's, he's a world champion, you know, as you've seen. 
and so Peter weren't a bad fighter, and he beat um, he beat Peter in the in the corn exchange over in Brighton, and I'd beaten Peter twice. So I thought this was as an amateur, but that doesn't matter. I'd beaten him twice, and I knew that I had the beating of Barry McGuigan, so we thought we'd take the fight on. Little did I know, I won't tell you all about the fight, because that's in the book, because it's a great, a fantastic story about that, that mm. fight. Um, but I will, what I will tell you is I was having a beer in the, in the bar the night before, um, with Alex Higgins and John Virgo, and 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 I said I've got to go to sleep tonight. I've got to fight Barry McGuigan tomorrow. You know we've got we've got an eliminator for the British title, and so we off I went. And um, but they're very shrewd, you see. They're very shrewd these 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 managers and trainers. And I tell you what, that that a, a twelve. I was a bit of a playboy back then. And like, and I had my mate Mark West, who's my sparring partner. He was in one of my corner men, and there was a bang on the door about eleven o'clock. You know, I'm 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 fast asleep now because I want to fight in the morning in tomorrow next night. And I opened the door, and there's two prostitutes standing standing there. And I went, nah, you know, I can't be doing this. I've got a fight tomorrow, so they went. So that didn't work. So, so that obviously I, I believe that that was um, their corner doing it. So that never worked. So the next thing you know, there was a bang on the door about two o'clock in the morning that the the hotel was going to blow up. So you've got oh, to get out of the hotel. The hotel's going to blow up. The IRA have just rang us up, and you've got to get out. Mm. So there we were out on the streets at three o'clock in the morning, completely upset my um, my metabolism, so to speak. <sighs> And, uh, and and then there was an interesting... I had fanfare for The Common Man by Emerson Lake in Palmer, but there was a terrific fight, and and it, it was a, a very, very dodgy decision, and then and why it was called off or called. Uh, uh, but you can read about that. Read it in the book, because it is interesting. They did apologise afterwards, for, after about three weeks after, four weeks after, they apologised for what had happened. Give him his due. Barney Eastwood apologised. Eastwood Promotions, Barry's trainer and manager. And they said, would you like to fight Barry again? I said, of course I will. And this is on the Thursday. And I'm having a sitting there with a bottle of vodka and a silly uh, spliff in my hand. What an idiot. You know, this is the sort of idiot I was. I mean, the town clown at personality that I was back then at 21 years old, 22 and I said, of course I'll fight him again. When? They said, it's coming this coming Saturday at King's Hall in, uh, over in Ireland. I said, nah, I can't do it. I'm about 11, 11 stone, 10 and a half, almost 11 stone. So he didn't, I, I said, I'll catch up with him and later, another date. So that was that. So Barry went on to win the world title, which was very good. And I was pleased for him. And I met him a few years later. Not so long ago, back down in Hastings, um, in the in the in the Freemasons Hall, um, there was a show on down there, and um, he come and we had a little chat and and talked about old times, and, <laughs> and I said, "Ring the bell now, we'll have it, we'll have it, we'll finish it off." But um, great lad, and he's doing well for himself, and he's got some good fighters, Frotch and uh, Cole Frotch. I think he's got one of them, but he, he, he's doing okay, you know, and uh, everybody loves him in Ireland. But that after that fight, a lot of things started going on. You know, I mean, it, 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 some extraordinary things, to be honest. So, what's the story on the drunken and disorderly disorderly boxer? 
the drunken disorderly boxer. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story. <laughs> I hope I mean, you say that. <laughs> well, uh, uh, now my brother is a fantastic fella. I mean, he's 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 older than me, and a lunatic. <laughs> when he's had a few beers, you know, I mean, hence the the, the shotgun through the window yeah. business. <sighs> he got four years for that, but uh, but. He he come and knocked on my door one day and he said, Paul, he said, um, oh, I'm feeling a bit, I need to get away from all this alcohol stuff. Let's, can you, let's go out in the country. I said, all right, let's just go and camp out for a couple of days and then see and get ourselves sorted out, live off the land, take the dogs with us, the ferrets, like we had, you know, the thing, uh, and the flops, as you call them, the nets. So the first night went fantastic. Yeah, we, we caught a lovely couple of rabbits and we, we put the, t- the tent up and we had a, like a nice, well, no, I think we didn't think we had a tent. I thought we just had sleeping bags and it was a summer's day and, and, and we, we just cooked this rabbit on the fire and everything else and we had a, no drinking. And, 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 and then the morning came, the dogs were lovely dogs. He had, he had um, his, his collie, the kit and, um, I had, uh, which one was mine? I think it was, I think I called my one, yeah, my one was loose, a German short air pointer. And musket, a, a, a musket was the other one. That was a, a, a cocker terrier. And they sniffed them rabbits out nicely. And um, so we had this lovely stew and that, and then we, we had a nice walk into pet level and it was all going well and we slept in this caravan for the night and then we walked at another, you know, nice meal out in the, underneath the stars and the shooting stars, all going lovely. Tony's getting his head together. I'm feeling all nicely like, and then we got into Rye. Then we went into an off license. <laughs> Game and, over. And 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 Tony ordered a packet of, of roll ups, and uh, I uh, just went like being a thief, grabbed hold of a bottle of brandy and stuck it in my coat, was, uh, and then off we walked out of the shop. And then, by the time we got to Iden outside Rye, we'd finished off this this bottle of brandy, uh, and then we sort of like um, sort of drifted back into Rye. The first place we went into was the the George Hotel up on the High Street of Rye. After about half hour of my brothers j- jumping around, spinning about and doing somersaults and the dogs barking, the ferrets running around, people screaming and, and him shut, putting his act into the, the, the beautiful oak fireplace saying this is going to make good firewood tonight, we eventually got thrown out of there. Then we went down to the next place and um, that was uh, in the I Street and the same antics, Tony's bouncing around doing all the rest of it even before I got the, the, the two halves of directors, that was their favourite two but by this time it, it was May and we got thrown out of there by the police the police said that's it if you've got that's your last chance so they they drove off so we walked down to the next pub which was the Pipe Makers Arms in Ryan um, that's a bikers pub all these heavy bikers and all that and there we are drinking away jumping around and Tony's his flip-flopping. He, he, he had this thing about doing somersaults for some reason. He's flipping up and, <laughs> and flying and flying around the place like that. And all of a sudden, the, the land was gone uh, and the police all turned up. And, and then they grabbed hold of me and he's gone charging towards the police saying, you leave my little brother alone. So we've all wrestled to the floor, all handcuffed up and trussed up like pigs. And, and they threw us into the back of the police station and... Um, 
we ended up sort of sleeping in the police. And then, then the dogs got, they got locked up as well. The <laughs> ferrets got locked up as well. Ferrets. So, so we're all locked up, see. And in the morning, they said, right, you're all, you're both nicked for drunk and disorderly. And um, we had to call my dad, you know, and, and he weren't very happy because he had to come and pick us up and bail the ferrets out. It must have taught, I think it cost him a tenner to get the ferrets out of prison and the dogs. And so it was all over the papers, Paul, the drunken, disorderly boxer. <laughs> and it was like, there we were in front of the judge and your judge is sitting there with his wig on in, in Roy High Street. And, and, and when he started reading the, the, the the charges out and what, what the antics that we was getting up to, I mean, I couldn't stop myself. I just started laughing, you know, and he, Huggins, I'll give you something to laugh about <laughs> in a minute. He said, now behave yourself. <laughs> oh, yes, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, it gave us £250 fine each, and not even a charge for the dangerous weapon we brother had because we, they let us off of that. And 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 uh, I, I said, no, I'm not playing that. I didn't say it there and then, but I said, oh, as we got out of course, that's not my fault. I said, you were doing somersaults all over the place, throwing yourself about, axing the tables. I said, me and you, fool, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal against it and say it's your fault. <laughs> so I appealed. He said, well, you do what you like. I said, I, do. I am. And I, I went in front of the judge at um, uh, 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 Lewis Crown Court and I pleaded with the judge and then my barrister said, yes, he was under the influence of his brother. <laughs> and I said, yes, he, I was, I was, because I'm normally the good lad, you know. And, like, <laughs> and they said, okay, then we'll, 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 we'll put your fine down to £50 and we'll give you £60 compensation for... Uh, for the train fare, and you you had half a day off work. I said, thank you very much, Your Honour. And they jumped out, and they said, oh, disgusting, you can't do that. And they didn't, so they cut the the the, um, the thing off. But, but that was what happened. I had my fine cut down, and that's what the uh, the drunken disorderly boxer was all about, yeah. So when was what the beginning of the drug trade? <laughs> at the beginning of the drug trading? The drug trading. Yeah. Well, we used to go to Amsterdam quite a lot. And on a number of occasions, you know, uh, I, I'll talk about my last fight because my last fight yeah. was, was against a guy called... Well, in fact, I'd just like to tell you about the, the, one of the other fights, actually, because <laughs> it, it was a great fight, and his name was Vinto Limitola. And, it, it, you know, by this time, Danny Mancini, was, who, who, who trained... The Charlie Magri and he was in the corner with Frank Bruno and that and, and he rang me up and he said he said I've got a fight for you in Italy topping the bill against Vinto Limitola I said when he said 10 days time do you want it I said I'll have it so that was that all sorted out club class me and Peter Smith I took him with me and my mate Keith Bosson, who's a bricklayer, and I said, "You can come, and you can be in my corner as well." So off we went, and 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 that and that night we 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 got the, we was met by the mafia, you know, as we got off of club class in, in, in Rome, and we had we had a bit of a journey down to Salerno, and Vinto Limitola was um was the Italian, and EBU, which is the prestigious European Boxing Union champion. And this was a warm-up fight for him to have a world title fight. I think it was with Stecker. I'm not sure. 
<coughs> so, oh, little did they know, though, but because that, as soon as I put that phone down with Danny Danny Mancini, I was putting my track two bottoms on. I was out there running around at 10 o'clock, sweating like a pig, getting in fitness, getting in that gym for two hours every day. Uh, I know Danny, I only had 10 days, but I thought I'd make a go of it, you know, to see what we can do. And... Um, we got there, we ended up there, and, 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 and that night when we got eventually got down into Salerno with the old black coat mob, they picked us up, you know, in their crombies and all that, the mafia and whatever they were, and, and then we got there and um, had a nice big meal and all the rest of it, and, and, and then that next day, there we were, uh, we was in the old... Uh, we was in the old weighing-in room, and, and I weighed about just about three five about five three or five ounces over the top right up, back upstairs and get you get yourself that weight off you can't have that you can't have that mr huggins you cannot we know this is this is for championship fight well it wasn't a championship it was a warm-up championship fight you know and this is for for stecker he, uh he, we have to have it at nine stone four pound and so i i don't I, that three times third time i got down there and i was around sort of must have been a bit, I don't know, about 20, 30 grams or whatever, an ounce or so. And they said, one more time. I said, no, that's it. I said, I'm not doing it because we was topping the bill, you see. And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm going. I said, Peter, get your bags, please. I said, I'm going now. And I started walking off down to the bus stop. They said, Mr. Ruggins, Mr. Ruggins, you come. We okay. We not give you four feet. You fight to. Yeah, okay. I said, okay, thank you very much. And then we went and had a nice pizza and and some and gelato is ice cream and that and that night was all very good and and we got in the ring after all the announcements and the flowers and the different things and vinto being the champion of europe and everything else uh, and um the bell went and so it was a tough old first round you know i mean all of a sudden about two minutes Ten seconds into the first round, I threw some good shots. Uh, Vinto cracked me with a lovely right hand. It just about popped my, my left eye. I slipped underneath, bashed him in in the solar plexus, which is my favourite shot. You know, there's no muscle around there. You hit them, they're, they're, they're done for. But he took it well. And and, and and then I saw his legs wobble a little bit and I tore in for the kill like a lunatic. And it was combinations all over the place. It was crisp. Crowd were going berserk. There were police all over the place. Anyway, the referee gave him an eight count. I tore into him again and and finished him right off. And that was the end of it. I screamed at the crowd like a lunatic. And I roared like that, and all the chairs and everything started coming through the, <laughs> the ring and the rope. My chain had jumped on the top. And he said, "They're going to kill us! They're going to kill us!" <laughs> I said, "No worries." I said, "He said, go over and put his arm up or something. Just go." And I said, oh, "Yeah, well, that's a good idea." So I went and lifted his arm up and gave him a clap like that. And so that that was that was one. Of, and the, and the paper did say Paul does the Italian job, and I was very pleased with that. <laughs> I, I, it was an interesting oh. fight. So that's the sort of. Um, Mm. fights that we like to get under your belt but uh, then I went back on the old um, playboy game but what else was you going to ask last professional fight oh yeah that was against that was against a guy called Jean Mark Renard now he was a fantastic fighter um, but 
I said to my trainer, it was Christmas Day, he said, my trainer, Bob Bobby Padgett, he was fantastic, he started that charity up called uh, Angels with Dirty Faces. Mm. And so, lovely man, and he took me over there. We got on the thing, I took my mate with me, Keith Bossom, and because and, and, uh, my, my other manager, he, he was fed up with it. I was being managed by Frank Warren by now, you know, and because uh, uh, Dave couldn't handle it, bless his heart. He, he, he was getting grey hairs and getting old and trying to sort me out, but I was just a lunatic, you know. My, my Bobby Padgett called me mental. For Personally, I was mental, uh, and I was mental, to be honest. But that fight, uh, after six, eight rounds in that fight, it, it, the tail come in. Christmas Day, whatever day, year it was, 1987 or something like that, and um, that was my, I decided I sort of packed, I thought, oh, I'm going to pack it in now. So I um, just got on a train with my mate, said, thank you very much, Bob, for all that you've done for me on a Christmas day. I said, most people would have been out there looking after their, and in with their parents and their, and their families, but you come and watch me fight, and I'll thank you so much for that. And so that was the end of it, and I went off to Amsterdam, and that's where we started um, making plans. How did you make your connections out there? Because it was... Uh, you know, I started getting involved with, with uh, buying a little bit of, and, and then asking where does this all sort of take place. And I come back and uh, got in touch with a friend of mine and um, and uh, he sh- we started shipping stuff across the water and I was making more money than that than I was boxing. So I thought, well, you know, I, there's no point in going back to boxing anymore. Uh, and uh, but unfortunately, after a while, the, these things. I, I had a henchman as well, and I won't mention any names. But one of them hung himself, uh, and the other one that was working with me sat in his bar, his, in his in his bathroom, and put a bullet through his his head. Wow. Uh, 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 and this is how this is what we was dealing with. You know, I was like, I was. Going around with a, a sword, which was like if somebody upset me, I'd ch- I would have, ch- ch- well, I'll chase somebody down the road with it. I was swishing it around like nobody's business. It was like because they owed me money, and this, and this is the sort of things you was going through. You was going from, from even your people would rip you off willy nilly. You know, we I was doing all these kilos of gear all over the place. And, 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 and I was bringing all this dough in every week and I was going off the head. I was literally snorting cocaine like there was no tomorrow every day. I ended up like looking out the curtain thinking what am I doing and I'm not going out there and all that sort of thing. And you get totally paranoid and off your head. There was excesses with being, I was dishing them out left, right and centre. And, 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 um, I was generally going, but I was like what Bob said. I was mental, but I I didn't think I was mental, but I realised I was actually mental. So where were you living at this time? Well, I bought myself a place in um, in the uh, Road, just where I was where I was brought up in Hastings, and uh, so we used to uh, do that. But a, a funny story was when uh, in, during this time. I mean, we went down to the nightclub one night, me and my um, associates, and we all got, like, had a few beers, and I, I drove the car home. I was pr- relatively sober. Uh, and I decided that on the way home that 
This is how mental I was. On the way home in, in this, you know, a, a lovely car that I had, of what, uh, just whatever it was, but and uh, laughing our heads off, driving around town like a lunatic, and then going, and, and on the way home, I said, going to drop them all off. I got, I went zoom like that, went into the woods, into the, where I live, St. Ellen's Woods, and started doing dirt track driving, ended up in a great big ditch, and then I, I got out of the car and said to the lads, end of the end, end of the evening, lads, um, I'm going home, I'll see you later. And and they went, and then my dog, who's, uh, my dog, who's German pointer, Lucy, was with me, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, when I mean, they've gone, they've gone, and about, this is about five minutes later, then I thought, after about two or three hundred yards in the pitch black raining, I thought oh, I've left my golf clubs in the car. So I went back to get my golf clubs, and there's this bloody torchlight coming down the down the old pathway where we're driven in through the woods, and and this big Alsatian come pounding down, and my dog and this Alsatian were rolling about on the floor, and 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 these police officers are in pursuit of me, and I'm running with my golf clubs on the back of me <laughs> thing through all this mud, and it's pitch black, and I, it was like moonlight, and I was just a bit, because I knew those woods, you know, because I've been through them so many times, I knew where I was going, but it, these this dog was right beside us, but it was bounding around, rolling about with my dog on the floor, with its legs up in the air, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm going, Lucy, come on, quick, I'm running through, and then I, <laughs> And we, uh, like I thought oh, I'm going to go in my mum's house, and and she lived in the flats, and 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 it was about two, two o'clock in the morning, and and this door was open. I ran in this door, and the, the dogs were still playing outside, and I, and I started taking my clothes off, and 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 Margaret said, "What are you doing?" I said, "The police officers. I'll tell you about it in the morning." And I took all my clothes off, I just run upstairs, and I opened the door, and I went inside, and I locked the door, shut the door, and I put the kettle, and I put a pair of pajamas on, washed my hands like that, got myself all nice and done up. Like that, and about five minutes later, it was bang, 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 bang on the door, and I thought, right, right. Ah, uh, hello, officer. <laughs> what can I do for you? Look at you. And yeah, he's that all over there like that, and he was covered in mud. And the other, and my dog was sitting out there like that, <laughs> and his station was like that, and there was like. <laughs> And, and I said, what's going on here then? He said, where's your car? I said, well, it's down in the car park office. I said, look over the balcony. I said, would you like a cup of tea? He said, no. I said, Lucy, where have you been all night? I said, come on, come in. He said, Huggins, he said, I'm going to get you, Huggins. I tell you, that's how he walked off. But it, it was a bit, like, like I was a bit of sort of, done quite well there I thought and it was quite funny to be honest but, <laughs> but that was the story in the woods with the dog but where did we get to that was uh, just we, a, I, I thought I had to put that story I've done there. smuggling operations with the cartel cartel yeah, yeah. That, that we'd done we'd done a, a bit of, I started doing that you know um, it's nothing I can really go into with you but it, 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 it was a, a, a good arrangement he had. We had a good arrangement. It was coming over in tin cans uh, with all the drinks emptied out and they was being lovely soldered back together again. Uh, and um, so it was, it, it was going well. And we we, we, we got away with it and um, for a long time. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately something very sad happened, which you'll find in that book friend of mine again 
Mm. What happened? He hung himself. Mm. And that led to the authorities getting involved, did it? And that led to... Uh, that led to just... just I just thought, that's... I can't, like, you know, it, it was... And what with my mate Jim putting a bullet through his head as well, you know, and then I just sort of thought, well, let's do something. I'm going to continue doing this because we're earning good money, but it, look, there's people dying around me all the time. My other mate, Jim, uh, Alex, he, he hung himself in his kitchen and he was like doing all the speed and all the rest of it. Yeah. And, 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 and that, I thought, that's another one gone. And, um, but I didn't care less, to be honest with you, half the time. I just thought, oh well, the one, another one drops, you know, it seems like the last one standing. And, and it was just like, it was really ruthless. I mean, I, I, we had to go around people's houses sometime attacking them because they owed us money. And I, I was like, I think nothing of it in you over the head with something uh, hard, like a hammer, do you know what I mean? And it was awful. And I, I didn't care, though, at that time. Although I was, you know, I had a heart, but I didn't care because it was, it was ruthless. And it, it was, you were in this ruthless world where everybody's just just ruthless and and, 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 and you just... just just didn't care and you just thought just one day came and another one went and you lived in a, 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 a twilight zone of, 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 of pretend world or, or whatever it was but yeah things started getting worse you know and then one day I uh have we got any more sort of, you want to ask me anything else? Yeah, I'm wondering when the the authorities started to clock on to you. Well, they, they was always clocked on to me, they, they, mm. they, they, but they couldn't catch me. Mm. How do you know they were clocking on to you? Because they, they, they were, mm. because it's a small town and... I should imagine that they did, but they couldn't, there was, there was no, there was waiting for their time. Um, just gathering so information. They were just gathering the, in 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 the information and stuff, you know. Mm. And um, so uh, when it all finally come to a head, to be honest with you, I don't know if I've actually left anything out, but probably have. But um, I'll tell you about the uh, what where why I got locked up. I could do. I could. I could. I could. I could is I could. that is that. After the escape to Thailand or before the escape oh, to Thailand? Oh, let's talk about the Thailand, shall yes. we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the Thailand's an interesting story. I like the Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> and we went over there and, uh, well, I did actually. I, I went over there on my own to start with. And um, I went over there and I thought, I booked up a... a, 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 a I booked up a three month. I thought I'm, I'm having a bit of problems with with my family life. You know, I had three three kids with Sally, and um, and I didn't. It wasn't a very good relationship. And I, I was I was also a horrible beast of a man. And I was pissed right out of my head. And and and, and it was 
it, I was ugly and evil, but when I was sober, it, oh, you couldn't fault me. And it, it, that evil of drink and drugs mixed in, it makes you do things that you wouldn't even, you just dread to think about. But anyway, I decided, I thought, oh, I've got to get out of this country and, and I'll just, I'm going to go to Thailand. And I've seen pictures on the TV about it and it seems like a good place to go and look at all these brothels and everything else and what everybody else walking about, doing what they do. And I thought, oh, let's go over there. So I got, went and got a ticket, flew on this plane over to Thailand. And there I am, I got off the plane and this big fat fella called Samoy... <laughs> He, he, he said, taxi, sir. I said, yeah, fantastic. Picked up my bags. Oh, this is nice. Like, took me to a nice hotel. Obviously, they're all getting their um, little bunces and things like that because that's what they do. I suppose work together right and, and And it was a nice hotel. And um, we went in there and he said, would you like me to come back tomorrow and so I can make you uh, and take you around and show you some size? He said, he told me his name. So I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I said, you know, it's my first time into a place like this, exotic like this. And and so that, that I got all excited and I got, uh, got into this room and and, and, and then I, I got a run out and I said cheerio to the, to the people behind the jump and, and thing. And I, and I got a taxi, a tuk-tuk, and they took me in and took about, you know, must have been about a mile or so into the middle of Bangkok and there I am in Bangkok having a whale of a time, <laughs> drinking, smoking with the girls and all the rest of it. And, and after a while, I'm as drunk as a sack and, and, and half off my head. And, and I said, I thought to myself, right, I'm going to go home. And I, I said, to this, I said, I'm going home with you. That's it. Let's go home and, and I'll we'll meet someone in the morning and we'll, we'll start this holiday sensibly. And then I, I realised I didn't know what the hotel name was. Oh. I realised I didn't know where the heck it was. I realised I never took a car with me and, and in my excitement. And I thought, oh, no. I don't know where I am. I've never been in my life. Never in my life. I've got no idea whatsoever what that hotel was, where it was, what street it was in. And it was like about 20 minutes tuk-tuk drive away. And then I, I stopped this tuk-tuk driver. I said, I need to find my hotel. He said, come on, come, come on board, he said. Come on board, I will take you home. I said, well, how do you know where my home is? He said, well, you just get on board and we will find it for you. And anyway, after about 10 minutes, we stopped at another bar. I said, I don't want to go to a bar. I want to go home to a hotel where I can find my passport, my luggage and everything else. I said, I'm stuck here and I'll have to go to the embassy. I know you worry. We will find your hotel. And off we went. Then he stopped at a brothel. I said, I don't want to go to a brothel. I want to go to a hotel. I want to find my hotel. And this went on for about half an hour. And then I said, if you don't take me home, I'm going to... <laughs> so he, he, we was driving from about like all night, all night, everywhere we was driving, 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 driving. And it got to about four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I went, there it is. And it was my hotel. Wow, what a happy man I was that day. <laughs> I gave him a tip and it was like something else. I think it must have been about a year's wages. And and, and, and he was, thank you, thank you very much, thank you very much, sir. And and um, and I started a really good uh, holiday in the in in the in the in in Thailand, but before long, 
when Samu, Samoy ended up taking me to his parents in the middle of a place called Ratchambury. And um, he left me there. And I, I stayed there and I was being treated like a king and everything else. You know, I was paying them and all that. But I liked it. I loved it. It was serene. And, and then all of a sudden I started getting a bit... I want to go back to town. You know, after about a month in this place, I was, uh, they bought this, like, this is how good they were. They bought this cow out. They said, you can, we can eat, we are going to eat this cow. I said, oh, lovely. They said, we're going to especially kill it for you. You are our guest. I said, that's lovely. Because we was like sitting in, we was living in these houses on stilts and stuff like that. And, and, and there was all the tools and all the bunk bed and all the, 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 the shamrock, whatever they're called underneath. They are, those things you sit on, what are those hammock, hammocks, hammock. uh, and 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 I was treated like a, a really nice guest, uh, and they said, oh, "I'll show you what we do for this, and we're going to make it all very prepared for you." I said, "Oh, lovely!" And then he went, got his slammer jammer from under the house, like out of the tall bit, and they went, they went, donk, hit this thing on top of the head like that, and then they went with this great big knife, and I, I went, oh. And I said, you can't do that. They said, oh, what, what do you mean, sir? I said, let me have that sledgehammer. So I said, you have to put it out of his misery. So I smashed this thing over there with this sledgehammer about three times. If you had saw it, you would have thought, oh, some madman, yeah. out of, an insane person that has been let out of a lunatic or something. But I was just thinking of this poor creature that it was like suffering. But it, obviously they went like that and all this blood come out. And, and, and we ate it. And it was delicious, and and all they didn't waste anything, you know. I mean, the, the, everything that they took off of it, they made into something like that. Then I got fed up, and I said to, I said to, uh, I said to, uh, to um, Samuel, so I want to go back to town. So I went back to town. And I ended up in the gang with all the gangsters, you know, uh, 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 the Thai squad, the Thai whatever they they are. They're called tri- triads, aren't they? And so I ended up playing the snooker in this. Um, in this snooker, all these triads, and uh, and and it was very clever. This triad, and I, I was knocking these balls in and that because I thought I was pretty good at it. And he was letting me get right up to the very end, and then he was pop pop, fifty, two hundred bar, four hundred bar, five hundred. I said, I've got, I've had enough of this after about losing a few about fifty quid, and that was quite a few quid there. I said, I've had enough of this, and I had a look around, and I said, Ah, I said. See all these boxes around here? Yes, sir. What you want, we boxer? I say, you pick me any boxer and we go fight. And I have money from fighting. He says, you come with me, sir. You come with me. Your big gold teeth. Like glitter lips, I called him. He says, you come with me. And we went into this back room. And there we were. All these fighters climbing up ropes like willy-nilly and like fit as fiddles. And I thought, flipping it, and I'd just been on my last bottle of Magog, whatever they called it, and smoked a couple of the old funny ones. And and, and he said, you take your pick, sir, with his big gleaming teeth. I said, all right, then. I said, I'll um, find an art of choice. It was all as fit as fiddles, all like, you know, proper fighters. And I said, I'll have him. He looked a bit sort of lively, you know, about 18, 19, 20s, and I thought I'll have the youngest one. So off we went, ran, ran to the old gym, and, and we put the gloves on. He said, what do you want, rule? What do you want? I said, rule, we fight to death. <laughs> he said, oh, you fight to death, and gling, gling, with his gling, gling, gold. <laughs> 
He said, I said, yeah, we fight to death. He said, good. He said, you put gloves on and we fight to death. We have bell over here. We ding, ding, and you fight, okay? I said, yeah, okay. So off we went and we was fighting. <laughs> you know, and we was in there smashing out of each other. And I thought, God, Ben, it's this boy. He ain't too bad, you know. And I'm sort of like slipping and doing the best I can. After about three rounds, the old Magog started to get hold of me, in there, So I was sort of sucking it all in. And I said, hang on a minute. I said, third round night come. So I'm just going to have a look in the mirror. And I looked and I thought, oh, black eye, split nose, lip bleeding. <sighs> I thought, I've got to fight a bit more now. I've got, I've, got go, I've got to get in there. You know, this is like, this is for about two or three hundred quid, I think. It was, like loads of money. Anyway... We started fighting again, and and and, and I, I slipped in. And I shot this lovely right hand straight up in his ribs, and I could hear the. <gasps> oh, that I thought, nice one, like, bah, bah, bah. Down he went, and then he, they started counting. He got up. I believe he got up. I'm not sure if he got up. But I know, and I, I smacked him and knocked him, smashed him down again. Bang! They started counting. I went up 10, 11, 12. 13. I got to 30. I said, I thought we was fighting. I mean, you know, what's going on? He said, you say fight to death. <laughs> oh, glitter lips. Like, and then like, I, I smashed him again and, 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 and that was it. And he handed me this big wad of money. And I went, thank you, thank you. I said, thank goodness for that to myself. Like, you know. And he said, we see you tomorrow, same time. I said, you won't be seeing me tomorrow, same time. I said, thank you very much. And, that, and I left them there, glitter lips, and weren't so glittery. And, then, and, and, and that was fantastic. And four years later, well, I took my mate over there, Johnny Wilder, who had a terrible accident. And, but um, that's in the book as well. And, and we went back into that gym again, and they say, Mad for Lang. They called me the Mad for Lang, because that means mad white man, you know. I said, man, I love, hey, come, come over to his mate, mad for Lang. I said, how you doing? And I said, see, John, I said, oh, I told you they knew me. And so, but he won the snooker that night, so we didn't have to go and fight no more. <laughs> but that, that, thank goodness for that. But it was a lovely, uh, a lovely little story. And I got back home and I had a lot of respect for those people up in that, in that village. They looked after me really well. And I come back home and, off we went again, like, you know, after three months. And that's when your friends died when you got back and you had some strange encounters. Yeah. It was, I had a, a, quite a few strange encounters, to be honest with you. Um, it, 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 I don't know what it was, you know, I kept thinking to myself, that I, I, why am I still alive sometimes, you know? And, 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 and look at all the near misses I've had and, and, and stuff. And um, I, uh, one particular event, I was in in the van, uh, and I was really going through a really deep, deep depressive time. Uh, and I was driving this van, and there's three of us in in the back, and there, and my mate was just going off to get some some smoke, and um, we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, where's life going to be going off? And like, well, what's the point of all this and all that? And all of a sudden, there was this this big banging on the side of the van. And I, 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 looked, I said, who's that banging? They said, ain't me. So I saw, all right. Bang, 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 it went three times. So bang, 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 it went three times again. 
And I turned around and I said, hang on. I said, I got out of the van. I had a look under the van, nothing there. I said, you sit in the middle of the van. Well, I said, well, let's do this properly. You sit there and let's call this thing, whatever it is, bang, bang three times again. I said, all right, and bang three times again then. Bang, bang, bang. There was this big bang on the side of the van. They went, what was that? I said, I don't know. I said, but I'll tell you what, there's something spiritual about this. And I, I, jacked, I leapt out of the van, I ran over to the beach, and I started splashing myself with all this water and everything. And I thought, like, something had entered me. You know, it felt like so, it was so strange. You know, all of this depression all of a sudden just dissolved. And, <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh, it's a car. I was running around telling <laughs> everybody that I'd just been approached, I'd just been filled with this lovely spirit. It's fantastic. I was talking about all these different things in the pub. They said, you've, well, you had Paul. I said, I've had a spirit. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's great. And, 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 and after three days, the spirit left me again. Oh, oh no. And I went, oh, where's it gone? So I went to, I, I, I tried to search for it, you see, which is, uh, but, um, I mean, that's why I was called mental. But um, <laughs> I, I went into this spiritualist church, which is the last place that I should have gone to. And, and, and I, I, I went into this spiritualist church and this big old like, lurch bloke was standing up on the door. And I, I, he said, but this is, like, I looked on the thing and it said, come in on Tuesday or Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. So I was there at this eight o'clock. And this lurch bloke like looked like Count Dracula or something, and he and he went, "Hello, what can I do for you?" I said, um, "I've come along to find after I had a spirit." I said, "This is a spiritualist church." He said, "Yes," he said, "You had a spirit, did you?" I said, "Yes, I did actually. I, I don't know where it's gone." <laughs> I said, he's run away, or it's left me, or something. And I said, he said, you've come for the right place for that. Come inside. So, <laughs> so, so there I was. And, and I'm sitting in this funny thing, and all these candles are all alight, and all that sort of thing. And, and I thought, after about 15 minutes, I thought, nah, this ain't where my spirit come from. And it was all calling people from the dead and all that stuff. And I thought, no, what's all that going on? And this, So I walked out, and I left my pamphlet on the thing. He said, did you, is that okay for you, sir? I said, no, that's that's not my spirit. I said it was something different from that. <laughs> See, I said I won't be coming back. Bye. And that was uh, that was something. I, I it was uh, just. I'm sure that was the Lord telling me that He was around, but you ain't ready yet, sort of thing. Mm. So after a while. You know, the same old skullduggery and, and, and people getting involved in this, that and the other. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I had BMWs and all the rest of it and I was earning a good few quid and and um, life was empty. It was like it was empty and I didn't have any relational value with anybody and, and, and it was felt I felt like you know I felt lost and and the only way I could find all that was with, with being involved with drink and drugs and so and then in the end in the end I was all right, just one day well another little funny story which ain't funny actually but I, I don't know if I told you but I thought this um on the on the uh on the concrete, oh, I told. Did I tell you about the the Ben the boxing fight? No, I was couldn't have known. Anyway, there was this. It was carnival day, and and we set a ring up out of scaffold poles, and me and me, me I was taking on all comers, and 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 it was fantastic, and I had a really good day there. Uh, and and um, you know I knocked a few people over because they tried to beat me up and fair people because the fair comes away they one of them tried to beat me up so I knocked him over as well but picked him up there's some nice pictures in the thing and that was that was a, a, an interesting story but in the end I, I, 
I ended up found myself on the on on the balcony of the public house called the Nelson, and they was having a charity night, charity day of cutting people's hair, uh, and uh, I said, "Oh, I'll do it," you know, for a bit of charity. And someone starts sniffing me in, and, and then big fella, six or so, six or so foot walked up the stairs, and he went. Yeah, yeah, talk with a, a Liverpool accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're some kind of a p or something, are you? And I thought, oh dear, what's going on here again? You know, I mean, I'm only having an haircut, mate. You know, it's for charity. It's ah, yes, you're a. P-. And I thought he was. I love gonna, the I, accent. I thought he was like, he must be trying to pick me out because I was obviously well known around town for doing this, that, and the other. So we ended up like. Uh, Having this, um, having this rail, but before I get to that, I'll just tell you another a quick story about this big fellow called Frank, lovely man. He come in, he come into the pub, and he he lived in Asian for a little. While. He was a ground worker, and he said, and in one of my down times, he said, "Does anyone want to do some work? We're going up to Luton Airport. We've got a load of concrete and and tarmacking to do." I said, "I'll come, you know, get me out of this and rut I'm in." And he, we we got up there and uh, uh, and everything was all tiggity boo and this is great big dumper, massive one it was, you know, well, it must have been about twenty ton. And I, and, and, he's, and I thought, oh, well, I'll I'll get in that and I'll just drive it around and and, and go and get some tarmac, so bring it back. And so I got in this dumper and I'm driving it around and um, and I decided, thought, oh, this is all right, you know. It, I'm driving it around on this great big place with all these like cabins and everything else and, and great big coal things and tarmac things where you filled up the thing and I just got carried away and all of a sudden I hit this um, this hump on the road like a policeman and it bounced all the way over the road and it went straight into this like it, this telephone box money went all over the place straight into the cabin where all these people were sitting down doing their like Bill were writing and, and stuff, so they, uh, that was the end of my tarmacking career. But <laughs> Frank, you know, he was a big man, Frank, and and and, and he um, he just grabbed hold of me and threw me around like a rag doll and threw me on the floor, you know. So I, uh, my normal thing was to for these big guys was just to walk up to them and put my hand on their right hand shoulder. And say, what, what was all that about then? You know, in a nice calm voice. And then I'll just go, <laughs> before you know it, there was knocked out on the floor. So he, there he was laying on the floor, knocked out, this 20 odd stone man. And, and I sort of started getting worried because I thought he was going to die. So I started giving him the kiss of life, see? And, and, and he's not the sort of bloke that they would kiss a man. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a big fella and his missus is there and she's crying and screaming. But he, he come to, and on, I, I never saw him again after that, but bless his heart. And this is what happened with the same man that walked up them stairs. Now, he was giving it all the thing in the world, and I don't know what he was trying to do. He was picking me out left, right, and centre, and I sort of, I was getting the ump light. So I, I, the same old thing, I walked in, and this, he was big. He must have been six, four, six, six. And I put my hand on his shoulder like that. I said, mate, I don't want no problems. And then... It was like, because that, like, you know, it, it, I, I, I could throw, as at my speed as a fighter, I could throw 49 punches in 10 seconds. Wow. That's lots. Mm. 
uh, and so I've knocked him over. Good shot because it was right on his jaw, and he was a, he he actually was still awake, and I was quite worried at this point because he's a big fella. So he went after it was all split up. And we never continued, but they waited. You see, they waited, and I know they waited because I was told by a guy called Jeff, who was also one of their friends, and he's dead now, Jeff. But he said, "This is what he said." He said, we was waiting in the van outside when you got drunk, drunk, and everybody had left the pub. We was waiting for you. Both of us had club, my mates had club hammers waiting. Because what they did, they burst through the doors when no one was there after, and I was lying there still drinking out of my rotten skull. And, 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 um, I fought for my life. He bit my nose off. Mm. And, and, uh, so. They never, never got me in the back. So after about fifteen minutes, of this biting my nose off, and and and, and one of them trapping me, in, leg in the door, and I'm fighting, and nobody's there, just these blokes. And so obviously the the, the landlords rang up the old bill, so they couldn't get me into the back of the van. Otherwise, I would not have been here telling you the story. Mm-mm. And 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 um, anyway, I got like they, 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 he spat it out. This this bloke. Oh. My nose on the thing there, and the police put it out when they arrived. They was gone. Put this thing into my and my little phlegmio, whatever they call it. And I got like taken to hospital. I'm and just then, looking at James's face over there. And, and it's He's like it's not. It's very, it's, it was quite painful. And um, so after about three weeks of it getting back together again, after coming out of East Grinstead, I I decided, and I've inquired about this chap, you know, uh, and and. Um, and I was found out that he he used to come down now and again, and I think he was involved with gear. Uh, and so I didn't. I was furious, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I went and purchased it, which was um, I won't tell him tell his name, but he's very close to me. And so I got this shotgun and sawed it off, and thought, right, that's uh, I um I heard that he used to drink in a pub along the St. Leonard's Way, and I went over and put a balaclava over my head, loaded this shotgun up with, with the old cartridges, and sat in the dark, waiting for him, you see, because I, I, I was going to just shoot him. No two ways about it. I, I, I wouldn't bat it an eyelid. Uh, and, and I would have had great pleasure in that. But fortunately for both of us, he never showed up. And so, this is what, this is what happened next. That was all sorted, but there was a murder. See, somebody got murdered, and uh, one of one of my people apparently, who used to get, as in the chain, they used to deal with, and he'd done a bit, of whatever, um, and um, he got murdered because he owed some money. And I was coming at one night, and have we got to that bit in the book yet? Brushes with death, or are yes. we? Well, we're downward spiral, continuous brush, brushes with death. Continuous brush. Well, that was a bit of a brush with death. Definitely. That was. Yeah. That that was a very brushed death. I mean, if it, it could have had a good part. Everything would have gone nicely if I had been stronger. But I was amazingly amazing. That was just some supernatural power. Uh, and... Um, so anyway, there, there's uh, this kid. He got arrested, uh, got got m- m- murdered. And, How did he um, get murdered? 
How was he murdered? He was murdered. I think he, uh, I'm sure the paper said he, he was slashed with, uh, stabbed to death with a knife. Mm. Um, in the park, which is a very, very dark place. Um, and anyway, I'm standing in the, uh, I'm standing in, in, in the beer engine pub this night. Like, this is where, uh, like, we, you got, it's my, my, our base, you know what I mean? In, in and and I was doing a, a a business at the time called Missionary, just called Antique Brack, and I had one called the Millennium Tours, because I had to um, show that I was doing something to earn where all these BMWs kept coming from and stuff. Of course. Uh, uh, and so I, I was doing my best to make things look like I was actively getting involved with real things, and I did do those real things as well. You know, I, I was doing them. Um, and so, anyway, the police walked in, these two plainclothes officers, and I'm standing at the bar, and, and one stood either side of me, and they went, uh, hello, Paul. I said, who are you? And they said, oh, I said, oh, you're the police. I ain't seen you for years. Oh, hello, mate, whatever his name was. He said, we want to work with you. I said, oh, so, where? He said, we want to take you out to the police station. He said, we've got to talk to you about Bobby Jones. I said, oh. I said, okay, I don't know Bobby Jones, though. I said, I know, I've heard the name. I said, I heard, saw his thing in the paper a couple of weeks ago. He said, yeah, we got to talk to you. I said, what? I said, I'm just going to have a pint of beer. Would you? He said, we'll get that. And they, and I just thought, well, I just like, because we had grow rooms in town as well. I, I was in charge of all these, where we was growing all sorts of stuff. And and so I still have, like, my, my bag of weed every week. And so I love weed, you know. And, um, I don't know more though, obviously. And so, anyway, I thought, oh, I better take. I said, do you mind, officer? I was like, I just, I said, I keep going to the toilet. I said, I'll, I'll be just go. I'll just go out to the toilet, and I'll be back in a minute. So my bladder's killing me. I said, and off I went, and and, and I got this bag of weed out of my pocket, and I went like that, and into the the cistern, into a dry pit, like, all back again. And uh, we said, we're ready then. I said, yeah, let's go then. And um, we got in the back of the police car outside. And uh, we're driving up the road. And he said, he said, you smoke weed, Paul? I said, of course. Oh, I said, well, of course I do. I said, I, I go to Amsterdam quite a lot. We all smoke weed over there. He said, oh, yes. I said, yeah, you're right. It does smell a bit. Uh, I think perhaps someone's rubbed against me in the pub or something. Anyway, I realised that I put a bag of jelly babies, which was in in the toilet system and not the bag of weed so I've still got the bag of weed in my pocket and and we've got into the police station and I thought I said oh, my bladder's playing me up again officer <laughs> I said I'll just pop into the toilet he said okay I'll wait outside here for you I said okay and I went in there and I went put them down with traction bottoms like that, this bag of weed and I walked out and walking along and then it, all of a sudden it trickled down like that and it trickled out and fell on the floor he said Ah, so you do smoke weed, Paul. He said, well, pick that out and put it in your pocket because this is a murder inquiry. So, fortunately, I had me back and I still had my bag of weed, but they took me home, down to the pub. I said, drop me down in the pub. I said, this will make a fantastic story tonight. I said, thank you very much, officer. So they asked me about where I was and all this on the night of the murder and bits and pieces, and I gave them the best answers I could because I didn't know where I was most of the time, to be honest with you. I was always out of my silly little town clown skull um and so 
there there you go so after two weeks then now i found myself in my friend's house in hollington after this murder inquiry um uh, investigation thing so i found myself in 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 in, in his house my, my old mate up in hollington and um, we're having a nice an evening. I love the music. He had some fantastic sounds, you know, all the old 70s and Fleetwood Mac and Pink Floyd and all those good ones. And 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 um, we used to sit and his missus and all that and, and all sit and never smoke and listen and just enjoy a bottle of wine and enjoy the company, you know, as you're going through the night. Anyway, I, I fell asleep and then it must have been about five o'clock in the morning, it was just getting light. He was in bed by now, and I'm falling asleep. And all of a sudden, the doors come crashing through. Armed officers. They said, "Freeze!" And I went, or something like that. Put your hands behind your back, or what? Get on the floor. I said, "What's happening?" They said, "We're arresting you on suspicion of murder." And so I got arrested for this murder stuff. And uh, and and then they locked me up in a, in a police station, and um, and I had this horrible barrister that came out. I didn't, I, 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 I got a good one to mention his name. What a sneaky git! You know, he was like this, right, sitting in from the one side of the the cell with the thingy bob down, and he was going like that, and I'm sitting in the cell. It didn't open the door to come in and sit. He said, "Paul, we're going to get you off of this." This is his exact words. We're going to get you off of this. Where let's make up a, a place where you was that night, so we can put it down on the book. This is my solicitor, my bar- this barrister. Oh, I'd never had, but I knew of him. And I said, "Hang on a minute. What do you mean? Let's get me off of this?" I said, "Well, I ain't even done anything." He said, "Come on, let's just get it out. We'll get it all sorted out. I'll come in and take the statement, and we'll make it." I went and I looked at. Like, <laughs> and there's two police officers, one on the side of the police there. What a git, eh? Yeah. And was, I said, get me another solicitor. I said, you filthy, mm-hmm. you know, two or three foul language. And so they went up to my house and they searched the house, you know, and with because I never shot this geezer because he never turned up. So I thought, well, maybe there'd be another occasion. So they searched through the house and stuff and um, I had a very nice hiding place but they managed to find this shotgun sawn off loaded hmm. sitting there gotcha so that's the start of the, the the gotcha bit and then they're all sitting there wrapping their hands together at last we're gonna get him off the streets for four to seven years and so um that was the start of that so i could take you to the court case if you want I mean, yes please, yes, please. Anyway, so I'm thinking, and then I ended up with um, with Joe Alden, and he's not a bad bloke, you know, he's a local fella, and he's a Christian, and and and, and he's a uh, he was my my solicitor, my solicitor, my my my, my uh, lawyer for that day, and he says you'll probably get between four and seven. He said this judge don't like prison. Uh, guns whatsoever. He said, although you haven't been caught with it, like, menacingly, you know, sawn-off shotgun with bullets in it, it looks like it's going to be used for something at least. Uh, and um, so he said, you expect between four and seven. So I'm, uh, that day I decided, like, you know, I'm going to make my way over to Lewis Crown Court and I'll put me my silk suits on what I got from Thailand and, and a lovely 
shirt and tie, a sort of khaki shirt type of thing, and I had a nice pair of brogues on, and, and I looked, uh, a hunter gold watch with a nice chain in it, you know, because I like antiques. So I used to have a, run a business called Antique Break, but that's another story. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, if I'm going to go to prison, I just as well go looking pretty good, you know. And, <laughs> And I stuck my glasses on the Ray-Bans and off I went. And and there we are in the courtroom and all the old bills and I'm sitting there, Huggins, court number, whatever it was. And I went, sat down, court arise, off we went. And there he is, Mr Brown, with his big wig on and his little glasses like that. He's looking over the top of him. Through all of my past crimes, pages of them, and he said, ha, Huggins. And I in downstairs when I'm in the audience, I says, send him down brown. Gave me 25 years. Send him down brown. Gave me 15. Send him down brown. <laughs> gave me 10 years. Nothing under 10 years. I'm thinking, oh, no. Anyway, I am I got on my knees in, in, in the cell and, and, I was in, and just before I went up to see him, I started praying to a God that I didn't know. And I said, I said, God, Lord, I said, I don't know who you are, God, whoever, Jesus, whatever it is, Lord. All these things that have been happening to me lately, it's just extraordinary. You know, I don't even know why I'm still alive and and all the stuff that's going on in my life. But now I'm here and I, I don't really think I could do seven years. I said, please don't let me have seven years. You know, I'm not a bad bloke. I don't mind carrying little old ladies' bags when they come in the shopping centre and stuff. And, and, oh, I'm a good bloke, really. And I was almost like, you know, in t- uh, dripping tears. And, and I said, please, Lord, I will I'll get to know you more if you just do something about this sentence. Seven years, I don't want that. Seven Look at all these things all over the place. Look. Anyway, Huggins... There I was in the court thing. And, and he says, stand up, Huggins. And I look behind me and, and there's all the police officers with all these little grins on their faces. Thinking, that's it, gotcha. You know, and, and, and he said, I don't know what it is, Huggins. I don't know what it is, but something's telling me about you. Something's telling me about you. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you nine... Months. God bless you, Your Honour. <laughs> Not like that. And I looked around, and the old bull like. <sighs> I thought, nice one. Anyway, I got in there, and then they said, "What you got? What you?" Got? I said, oh, "Firearms, you know, loaded sawn-off shotgun." And they, they said, "What'd you get?" I said, nine months." They said, "You grass." I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "I started praying to somebody called Jesus." And I said, this is why I got this sentence. I believe that this was Jesus that done it. I said, no one else could have done it. I said, and I'm not, I'm certainly not a grass mate, so you can lose to get rid of that idea. Yeah, they thought I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Even the people in prison couldn't believe that I got this nine-month prison sentence. So this is where things started changing for me, and that was in probably 1997. Um, and do you want me to go on from there? Yes, I mean, please. I mean, you know, uh, there I am. Which prison? Lewis Prison. It's a bit of a dive, you know. I mean, prisons are prisons. I've all got these great big castle things where you have to go through and get stripped off and do this bath wash and all this stuff and get your hair cut and all the rest of it. And, you know, and they give you these clothes and 
prison uniforms and, and trousers and you have, everybody looks the same you all eat the same food and you're all like just like a, a number now like hugging four four whatever it was and that's it you're a number in jail aren't you i mean and you ain't going nowhere you know and you're sitting in this prison cell and you're looking at these flies flying around like you know and you're trying to swat them but uh, they try they do eventually escape and you think if only i was a fly i mean (laughs) you really want to be a fly that's how bad it is (laughs) and it's 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 awful in the blooming thing and you sit and find yourself counting the blooming brick things and, and and the numbers on the wall what people have done before you and you just saw sort of like you did like pick up bits of paper and just anything trying even if you ain't got a book you just find things to read or do or whatever um and so I, i'm sitting there and, and fortunately after about a f- four weeks i've got this like uh, it's, it's nine months and 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 this um chaplain he gave me this bible um and um and they sent me off then, off to uh, Camp Hill. And I took my Bible. I said, I'm taking my Bible with me. I'm not, this is mine. You know, look at it. Nice old gospel, shiny cover and all that. I, I'll keep that. Have a read of that and, and that. You know, I ain't got nothing else to read. So there I am. I got went to Camp Hill. What are you in for? I said, oh, firearms. What are you getting? I'm like, you grass. And I said, I'm not a grass. I said, don't start that. I, I said, I was praying to G. I, I had to tell this story on a number of occasions because everybody thought I was a grass because <laughs> I, I got such a little sentence. And and, and I said, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start reading this Bible and I actually think you should as well because <laughs> there's something in this. And and, and, and then I was, oh, yeah. Then I got sent back. Then I, from Camp Hill, went off to Blooming Wandsworth, and then I went back to where else? Did I go back to Lewis, and then I went back. And then I went into Wormwood Scrubs, and I said, I wrote a letter. I said, I'm on tour, prison tour, you know, <laughs> everywhere. And 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 I read it like in that nine months, I was reading books after books and and that stuff, but I kept reading my Bible. So there I am sitting in Wormwood Scrubs, and uh, I'm reading through the Book of John. And in the book of John, you know, it's a fantastic book. Uh, and one of Jesus's his very disciples, uh, uh, and one of, uh, one of the ones that he loved, he loved all of his disciples. Uh, and an eyewitness to his, 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 uh, his 500 people were actually eyewitnesses to, to, to Jesus' death uh, and resurrection. And anyway, I'm looking through this book of John and it says, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I'm looking through it and looking through it. And I said, okay, Lynn, I don't know what it is, Lord, but I've, I've had all these near-death experiences. I shouldn't be here on the planet. And, and, and I've had like miraculous, miraculous. Uh, and I mean, I'll just tell you one more quick miraculous story. Another one, there's loads, quite a few in there. Uh, anyway, I, this guy above where I lived, and um, and he, uh, he's, he, I was doing, you know, he's one of my boys, uh, one of many, 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 many of them that I, who used to, and I used to, because he lived so close, so I used to deal with him personally, so he could, you know, do whatever he did with all of his, just, he just dealt cannabis and one day he was owed me money like everybody owes you money in that game so i went out there and, and, I, and i'm banging on his door pissed right out of my head uh, and um 
got the amp because he owed me about a thousand or twelve hundred quid, and and I said um, I've got to have this money. I wanted me, I've got to have this money, and, and, and you know you're taking the piss basically. Anyway, he tried to get us, and then I started forcing my way into the house half drunk, you know, and he got me out eventually, and, and it, 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 like, because he's a, he was an Andy kiddie himself, you know, he'd been stabbings and all the rest of it, he'd been in jail for, and, but I mean, I, I weren't having none of it. So on the way down the the house, down downstairs, I thought, well, I'll get you in the morning because uh, uh, I own this flat. It's only a flat, and and um. In the windows, the pane glass windows on the way down the steps, I, I, I was so annoyed, I, I, I threw this great big right hander at, at the window and, and just done a, a, a bowler, you know, bowled it over, just sort of pretending it, you know, that, that's you. Yeah. And do you know what happened? I can show you the scar, but this is what happened, look. There is a scar. Wow. wow. That scar... Very deep. ...is deep. And that scar actually cuts straight through my main archery. There's only two archeries got, that go through you, pumping here and there. And, it, and, and this is a miracle in itself, because all of a sudden this blood's pumping up in the air. I've got, I've just, I checked it out half many months, weeks after. It, it takes six minutes to bleed out. And I'm now um, 15, 20 minutes away from the hospital. At least, and it's middle of the night, and nobody's like you know got any car or anything like, and I'm gone off the trolley and stuff, and where I've been up and down the stairs and having this fight, like my pump bloody is pumping around me, and this this blood's coming up at least about three inches yeah. like that as it's going, and you're thinking, well, well that's it. And I put my hand over my thing, and I walked out down the road. I didn't have a mobile phone or or, or anything on me. <laughs> And so I, I, I got down to this, banging on this one, first of all, started banging on this house in uh, Mount Pleasant Road. And they, I saw the curtains go back and they went straight back like that. <laughs> like, obviously, it's that nutter. And, and, and then on, I went down to the Jenny, uh, the, um, what was it, ever it was called, old of, anyway, I, I knocked, banged on this, the shah, I banged on this door. Uh, and the dog started barking. It was closing time. Closing time in them days, you know, uh, at twelve o'clock on the weekends or whatever it was. And it was, you know, about one o'clock in the morning or something. And 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 Daphne and and Robin, they came and they said, "What's happened to you?" I was, and this was about this going on. This was about five minutes now, as you see. But I'm going like that. So I've got one vein going through my arm, and the other one seven and a half, and the other one's got a nick in it. Where I whacked, if that had gone, curtains. And anyway, there we are. And um, so we, we got we got this belt and put it on me, and I'm starting falling asleep. The ambulance turned out, and they said, "Don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, stay awake." Then they kept even like like shaking me on the way up the hospital, and that's another five minutes. And by the time I got up there, that was it. I couldn't remember anything else. And I woke up in the morning, and and the nurse came up to me. She said, "I witnessed a miracle." There's no way that you should be alive in the, and talking to me as you are now sitting up in bed and and and, I, and that was that was that and that's the reason why I I wondered while I'm sitting in the prison cell and and, and I'm thinking I don't understand this because I'm I've died three or four or five times 
and I shouldn't be here. So I decided to start looking and reading into this scripture. And I asked there in that Wormwood Scrubs prison cell, as I even thought the um, the bloke I was in with, he, he got the bit the ump with me, I think. He, he was like so brainy, he'd done these times crosswords in, in five minutes every day. And like, and I, and I just like played him chess all day long for about a, a month. And I got, I think I won one game, you know. And anyway, I ended up moved, getting moved out of that cell and into another cell where there's some guy underneath of me. And he was, he was doing 11 years there uh, for, for drawing a gun on a police officer. And, 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 um, so there I was reading my Bible through this book of John. And starting to think to myself, like, right. And he was, there was a, a song on his radio, and it was called If God Had a Name, One of Us on the Bus by Joan Osborne. So I'm sitting there thinking, If God Had a Name, One of Us on the Bus. And I'm starting to read through this book, and, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and all these other scriptures and everything. And I just said, Then, uh, okay, Jesus, I'm, oh, sure, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm still alive. There's something's been telling you've been telling me something for the past few years now, and I've just not been bothered to even take any notice of you. Uh, and I've been running amok, doing stupid things, just living life like some demented nutcase town clown. <laughs> and now it's time for me to listen to what you've got to say. So you tell me then, show me who you are. And all of a sudden I was filled with this amazing thing. There's a spirit, the Holy Spirit came into me and it opened my eyes. And all of a sudden I was electrified with this amazing uh, knowledge of, of who the Lord was. And he showed me who he was. And, and I burst into tears and started crying like a baby and shouting out, I'm born again. My cellmate down below me, he said, what's just, what's happened to you? I just, I just met Jesus. He said, you're off your head. And yeah, I said, no, I have. I said, I want to see the pastor of the church, of the prison. And, and, and I went, as soon as Sunday come, I went running off to the church. And I went, I've met Jesus, this is great. I said, he was risen from the dead, he came to earth to die for me, washed me clean with his blood, and now I'm going to heaven with him. I've got a relationship with the risen Christ. This is fantastic, and I can't believe it, what's gone on in my life in these last few months. So, as I got let out of prison, no um, gate arrest for murder, which I was expecting, and I, I, I uh, went home and... Um, and uh, and I thought to myself, well, that's it. There's no more me going back to that rubbish no more. I'm a changed person. Something's happened to me inside spiritually. You know, I don't feel any way at all like I was before I came into the jail. I feel exactly of a, a new person, born again, born from above, as this scripture's told. Born again. So... Here I am, still having a quick beer in the Nelson pub, and I thought to myself, right, no more business for me in, in cocaine, no more pills, no more cannabis, no more nothing. I've had that's it, finished. Knock on the door, we got home. Mick, he came in, he said, we've got £50,000. I said, I'm not doing it, Mick. I'm not. He said, I said, you need to come to visit church with me and meet Jesus. He went, are you off your head? I went, no, honestly. I said, I've met Jesus, and I'm not doing no more drug dealing. See you later. If you want to come and knock on my door again, just come to go to church with me. So I'm sort of walking up the road then, the, the next day, and, and this guy in the pub, he said, what are you doing with yourself these days, Paul? So oh, I'm nothing now. I'm just looking, thinking about doing something. I'm not sure what it is, you know, but I ain't getting involved in drug dealing no more. You know, I don't want that sort of stuff. I've had enough of it. I've met Jesus. And I, have you? I said, yes, I have. And he went, oh, he said, why don't you do a magazine? I went, hang on a minute. I'll be back in a minute. I'll just have a wee. I'll talk to you about it. I went into the toilet. I come back out. He's gone. I thought, what was that? Who was that? 
Never met him before in my life. Magazine. So here I am walking up the road with my son after the pub, sober as a judge. And I'm starting to think to myself, magazine, magazine, magazine. What can I do? How can I do a magazine? I don't even know. I can't. I'm not very good at spelling. I'm not very good at this, that, and the other. Well, I know a lot of people. That's that's one good thing. Businesses around town. Yeah, okay. Right. Then the voice coming to me again. Go to the printers in London Road on Monday morning and tell them I've sent you. So off I went on Monday on this Monday morning, along to Burford Printers, which I knew of in London Road in Hastings. Knocked on the door. Big fella comes to the door. His name was Vic. Another very big man, and he said, um, "Hello, Paul. Do you still boxing? How are you? What are you doing these days?" I said, "I'll just uh, come to see the owner. I've uh, got something to talk to him about." He said, "Well, come in. It's Peter Burford." I said, "Oh, okay, lovely." Sent me into a nice little room where there's a fishing tank and all that, blobbing around, you know, like, a bit like that, like that. Yeah, that was <laughs> it. One of them it was, and I said, "Anyway, he, he come down and he went." Ah, oh, Paul, he said, you, there's a boxing going. I said, oh, I'm not finished, finished boxing. I said, but I've got something I've got to tell you. He said, what is it then? I said, God sent me along here Friday or Saturday, I think it was. And he said, you're going to help me out. And God wants me to talk to you because you're the owner of this place, Peter. And uh, I think you can help me do a magazine. He said, no, why? I said, yeah. He said, let me get my wife. So off he went, get my wife. I thought, oh. That's it. He's coming back with a white coat today. They really think I've gone mad. But he brought his wife down and she said, Are you a Christian now then, Paul? And I said proudly, Yes, I am. And she said, So we, what can we do to help you? Now that magazine lasted for 13 years. Wow. I had a very good living out of it. I had, well, it was amazing. It was just every month without fail, I had 65 advertisers giving me. £50 a month, some of them, and that was in 1997. That lasted for 13 years, that magazine, and then I went off as a missionary and met my darling wife. Went over as a missionary, which you all see a picture in there as well, but start, things started really developing for me after that. After I was, I'd done that magazine, I was earning a, a very good living. It was legal. Uh, it was a miraculous event. It was something that I never knew or understood or dreamed about. And um, I did, I earned a good living. And then I went away as a missionary in India. I went to a mission, I was a missionary in in, 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 the, in Malta. I went over there as well. And, and um, I just, I, can't, I got around it all to the Lord, really. And, and now, you know, as time goes by, I mean, things have happened over these past 23 years that, that, are, that are extraordinary. But ask me another question and see if you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, you know, and the very beginning when I introduced you, um, there's important work that you're doing now to help young people in Hastings. Yeah. So what, what is that? Well, you know, after we had this kids' club that closed when the the guy passed away, um, I, 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 I felt like that was a, an in, introduction to it. It was like my it was a forerunner, and I thought, well, this is because I was putting something back into a sport that I loved, but in a way that 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 it was all sorts of sports, um, and and board games and just getting them out of the the, the 
rut that they're in and some of their parents you know they're crack cocaine addicts and, and, and they'd even as bad as some worse than what we all are when we're kids and, and, and doing some stuff that you really don't want them doing but I wanted to give them all a chance and and so we uh, we started this uh, this thing off and then I, I met my darling wife and um, it, which is another amazing story you know I had a dream about uh, 24 years ago in a red dress in a garden with flowers on a bench and that's exactly where we sat down and, and had our honeymoon on this bench in this garden in the oh, Philippines wow. and I said oh, that's it I said that's you you're the person I fleetingly saw in my dream 24 years ago and she and and, and she's, it's what a blessing you know and and together we work really well in, in this ministry and we both love kids and she's lovely with kids and that. Um, but we can't have kids because I'll tell you another little quick miracle. I, um, when I, before I went to India to do this missionary, because I thought, well, I'm going to call it missionary seed, this, this new thing. This, and seed stands for support, educate, equip, develop. See? Which is good. And then, and, and so I went off to India. And before I went to India, I went, um, because I belong to a church now by, by this time, you know, regularly going to uh, worship and stuff and getting to know the Lord more, uh, and amazingly. And, and then, um, and then as I'm there, you know, in this, he said, well, you, he, I'm going to India, and, and these, they said, well, you better go and have your checkup. So I went to the doctors and had a checkup and to have these injections and that, and he took some blood and he come back, and he said, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've got three to five years to live. This is in uh, 19-something or other, or was it 2000, oh, yeah, so I think it was 1997, something like that, around that way, about 98, something and he said, I'm sorry, he said, you've got three to two, he's got, you've got aggressive prostate cancer, which was like aggressive, because all over and that. And he said, you've got three to five years living. I said, well, I'm going to India. He said, no, you can't go to India. He said, you can't go to India. He said, you won't get no help over there. I said, well, I've already bought my ticket. I said, God, go. I said, by the size of that, I said, oh, I've got a really strong faith and I believe that I'm going to be healed, you know. And whatever way God wants to do it, you know, with the blind man, he used mud. If he wants to use a doctor, he will. If he wants to do it whichever way he wants, he's, he's in charge, so I'll leave it with him, you know, and so on and so forth. He walked upon water and stuff. He's God. Jesus is God, so he can do what he wants to do. If he wants to heal me, he'll heal me, whichever way he wants. And he said, you're off your head. I said, well, oh, I said, well that's what I believe, and that's what I know to be the truth. So he said, okay. So off I went. So I got on this plane. And um, I, I got on the old computer like that, and I met somebody like I thought, right, Ratan Babu, he's a, oh, he's a minister in the, oh, right, yeah, do. I said, I'm coming to India, and I need to meet you, because I need to get on with uh, getting some stuff going with youth and young people that are suffering and not having anything and, and they're living in poverty and all that. He said, great, he said, you're amazing, we've been praying for somebody like you, so off I, I went. He said, you'll recognise me by having a bunch of flowers. I'll be there at the airport waiting for you. I got out of the, the terminal and there are there in front of me were a thousand people and 500 of them had bunches of flowers. <laughs> I thought, oh dear. So anyway, it, it just so happened that I was the only white fella there. So we met up and off we went and I started doing this um, this stuff with, uh, with them. 
Uh, and um, then I, I said, I, when I go back home, I promise after three months I'll stay there for, and and I promise that I'll start helping you out. And unfortunately, and if when you do, if you do ever watch this, the other one, Delip, I, I know that I told you I was going to send you all this money, which I sent loads of it over to to Rattan, and they bought Bibles and everything else. And I, but I didn't. I, I sent some to you, and I don't know whether what happened to it. I sent it by Western Union, and I, and where it was was in Arissa, and I was there with Arissa. You'll see a nice picture of me, all the kids. Thank you, ten sixty six country, uh, and 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 I, and I thought when I got back home, I never heard from them again. And in Arissa, they was killing Christians. The Hindus uh, were killing them. The parent this, this this little campus was full of all these little kids, and so. I don't know what happened to him, but if he's still alive, I'd just like to say, get in touch with me and I'll, I'll send you some whatever you need for these little kitty people. But there we are. We went from there. And then when I got home, I, I met my wife online in a, on a Christian. I couldn't find a Christian for love nor money in Hastings. Uh, I mean, it's like looking for a needle in an haystack. I went to a few churches and all that. I mean, Paul Huckins, are you sure? Is he a Christian? You what? How did he become a Christian? It was amazing, you see. And and so I couldn't find a decent wife. So, I mean, I thought, well, a, a Christian wife, no, I think it was, you know, nobody would give me a chance. Maybe I won't plan it right. But God had this idea. He, he had it already planned because of the dream. So when I, like I found her, that's it, like a little whisper in my head, stop that. Uh, oh no, okay. Off I went, married into the garden. There's the girl with the dress that I saw. So we started developing, and her dad, who was a pastor who worked in the oil industry, and and, and the church called in Anti Antipolo City, and all these kids. And if you want to watch it on um, YouTube, it's called Missionary Seed. Paul Huggins, Missionary Seed. You'll see all these kids. So you can put a little clip with this in if you want. Missionary Seed with all these little kids, and they're all like there, and they're, they're living in tin huts and sheds and everything else. And Nobody lives off of about a pound a week, about like a pound a day, whatever. It's very bad. Like 26 million people are living in slum areas. And we worked in this slum area, and now we're still working with these kids. And this is now 2022. We started working with them when I mean, it was 2017. And some of these kids like that, now they're at college and university and then we're doing things with those children and oh. they're, they're doing things that they would never have done if the Lord hadn't stepped in. Mm. So we're very, very grateful for that. And so um, we decided when she done, uh, miraculously got to this country, we decided that uh, we start something like that over here. And so we're calling it Team Seed, um, Team Seed Youth Sports and Recreation, which is in Hastings. And we had a meeting just before Christmas, seventh uh, of December, <coughs> and um, on the seventh of December, twenty-three people turned up to this meeting. Three of them police officers, and 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 they told us what that, that it's it's a poor, but everybody's burying. They think they're ostriches. There's nothing. It's all going to go away. But they're all, they're dealing in drugs. I mean, they're they're they twelve-year-old kids driving around on brand new fifteen hundred-pound battery-operated scooters. Their parents are drug cocaine addicts and crack cocaine addicts they don't go to school they're refusing to do this and they say we did you're the person that can do something with these kids look at your record look what you've done look how you've come out through that long dark tunnel we're behind you so we've started off now or when it like on shoot last friday before the last one we, we we've we've decided we've got a good committee now we've got a bank manager that was a friend of mine another christian we've got a Christian counsellors, we've got the Mayor of Hastings wanting to help us all out, we've got some good people, 
all involved and and a good committee and so we call it team seed youth sports and recreation and team seed stands for together everybody achieves more that's the what that's that's the first one when we support educate equip and develop ourselves and each other and that's the the acronym that will bring us together so friday before last three kids turned up very very small amount and, I, and then Burn said to me, well, look at all that lot all over there. They're on, uh, playing on the swings and riding their bikes about. I went and shouted out, come on, come on out. You want a game of table tennis, a bit of boxing and football training? Come over in the club. And they come over. So it'll be there about 11 kids turn up. This week they brought their friends with them. So now it's going to be, and it's going to start, and we've got a lot of, um, you know, way forward. And I'm hoping that we're going to, you know, get some funding and stuff uh, and develop these kids to do something rather than getting wow. in trouble like we was doing, you know. Amazing oh, what a journey. So for the people watching this then, how can they help and support you? Well, I would like the money that I sell these books for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we 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 you know we want to put the funding into the the kitty because we have to have matching funds because for people all of a sudden they say you've got to have certain certain such and such. I, I I don't mind you know going around and and getting all the people to. I'm going to do a, another similar magazine thing where I'm going to call it the Heart of Hastings Business A to Z Directory. So I'm going to charge people a pound a week. Um, and, and to have their name in their directory and it is the heart of Hastings people in Hastings seem to be always gathered together they always want to support each other so I'm hoping that they might want to part with a pound a week that's nothing to help a kid get out of trouble and do something in their life rather than get murdered or deal people with drugs or do or, or whatever so that's that's what we're doing with this this kids club and we, we want it we want it and what so we want the book to be sold and we want to people to personally make donations and uh, into we've got to get our bank account sorted next week we've just been now registered with the uh, company house and uh, cic or i think they call it uh company or uh, blah, 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 blah. but we've got a number which is a nice one um and 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 the books my printer who, who's uh, verity cm dot com oh, we'll write that out and uh put that on the screen if we can can we do that it all Sean? goes on it go, goes under the video on the screen if we can get yeah, that on yeah. there then so we've got a nice little website that they can t get in touch with my printer all your and order books all your links will be below yeah. the video and we're only asking 7.95 and and if you get them via my printer then it would be we get more money because instead of, Amazon. instead of Amazon, but you can get them off of Amazon. You can get them off of WH Smiths or or um, Goodreads and all that. But you just look up Paul Huggins, knocking out my demons on on Google, and it'll bring you to all those sites that you you can uh, you can um, order a book from. But preferably number one order, please do it from Verity dot com printers. And well, if you want to give me a call, even I don't mind sending one personally signed. What about that? I mean, that's good. You know, good deal. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Is, your, is, your, is, your number on, is your number on your website then? Well, uh, uh, we, we ain't got a website yet, but we have got a, um, a, a, a what's it call it? A, 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 an email. So if you wanted to email knocking out my demons, all one word lowercase dot com, knocking out my demons dot com, then I will um 
at sorry at gmail.com knocking out my demons at gmail.com if you want to email me i will send you put personally and my phone number or leave me your phone number and we'll have a little chat wow fantastic so all the links will be in the description box below this video just blown away by your story man the, the, the what you've been through and then the, the redemption the transformation and it's just fantastic to, you know to have met your wife and and hear what you guys are doing it's so inspirational so please let us know what you thought about this video please support paul go down to his links all jen's links will be down there as well and uh yeah brilliant man let's have a great hug let's have a hug yes <laughs> Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Jen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandert, The Life of a Cheeky Faker. And from the back cover blurb, Max the Forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandert, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honour. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon, link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor.